All right, welcome to the Jig is Up. This is an unusual night. Uh, Jason's with us tonight. Welcome, Jason. Hey, how's it going tonight, buddy? Not bad, not bad. We're about a week early for our our usual ranting and raving. Well, there's just so much going on. Well, there is, and uh, you know, I thought uh, we'd just kick right into it, um, and we'd start talking about the Colton Bushy verdict. Um, so I just wanted to relate that, you know, I went to a rally here in Calgary to show support to the, the Bushy family and, and for the horrible injustice that was done there last Friday. Um, and, it, I mean, the rally was amazing. The, the one thing that I wish I would have got on video, and, and I apologize for everybody for not doing a better live video, but it was minus 20 and my phone kept dying because of the cold. So, um, but I wanted to, there was an elder who spoke and, uh, man... Like talk about inspirational words um, about the the youth and and about the future generations. So it was it was a phenomenal rally. It was great to see all these people come out and and uh, you know Indigenous and some non-Indigenous. There was a few Métis there. Um, you know the the chief from or one of the councillors I think from Sitana spoke, and I think they had somebody from Siksika that was speaking. So overall, it was really good. Um, I mean, it's very sad to have to go out for rallies like this. Um, and I think I mentioned it. It, it kind of hits home for for me here and my family because, um, like back in 2014, there was a, another young Indigenous man who ended up being murdered. He went missing, and the police did nothing. Um, and his name was Colton, Colton Crowshu. And so we actually, you know, back in 2014, had a pretty much the exact same rally down at City Hall on the steps, saying, "We you know we need justice for Colton." And uh, we're back there saying we need justice for Colton. So it was kind of a, as a weird parallel there for me. Um, so how did you? Uh, I, I don't know if there was anything going on up in your neck of the woods or any re- reactions. What did you think, Jason? Lots of reactions. There's not wasn't lot no rally here because I'm I'm out in the middle of nowhere, of course. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the 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 deer and the moose here aren't aware of what's going on in in the political scene. <laughs> yeah, lucky them. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so what was like? What have you heard, uh, or I guess what have you seen? A lot of the, uh, I mean, there's a lot of racism going on on Facebook and social oh my media. god, it's a it's a show, shit show, buddy. It's everywhere. Like, oh, it I, is. I don't even know how you, you you start to tackle the monster that this thing is. Well, and it kind of, you know, as much as all these people want to say, oh, there's no racism. This wasn't, a, but the fact is, so many of them are coming out so vehemently ab- opposed to the idea that there was any racism involved kind of makes the point for everybody that you're there is racism involved otherwise you wouldn't be so passionately against people saying there was um it kind of proves the point i think well i think it it really betrays and really should highlight for um the you know what is now the majority of canadians and especially indigenous people that what is legal in Canada and what you can get away with in the legal system are, uh, is now a, a very clear line. And I think that was really what was startling to me about this whole case. Um, even reading, you know, as a, an avid hunter and gun owner, uh, in the, this isn't even over yet because he has to go back to court uh, for gun charges. But, I mean, the, this, the massive failure uh, right from charges laid to the ineptness of the prosecution to the fumbling, you know, an absolute uh, bias of the judge and then the obvious uh, lunacy of the, uh, uh, what should you call it? The jury? Uh, jury, yeah. I mean, I, it just, just so staggers me. Um, I mean, I'm no lawyer, but, you know, it's, I mean, when it comes to owning a gun and gun ownership, the very fact that there's he's only facing two gun charges still yeah i mean that's that's ridiculous and it really shows me right out of the get-go that we as indigenous people really need to be very careful how we engage the rcmp moving forward absolutely and and i you know i that's one thing that i've noticed here in calgary a lot um my my wife does a fair amount of work within the community and and gets to you know, be involved with families who've had, you know, their daughters get murdered or, you know, in, in Colton Crowshoe's case, it was a young man that got murdered. But she's she's been around the families when the RC, when the Calgary police are there and, and dealing with that. And, you know, I just, it, it's kind of the same 
attitude across police forces, and I'd love to say it's just the RCMP, but, um, you know, like when the RCMP showed up at the Bushi family house, they went and searched them without a warrant and accused them of being, I, I think it was like being drunk or something. Uh, but they weren't there to actually, you know, you know, do anything or investigate or, or be kind to the vic- victim's family. And that's kind of the same thing that happened here in Calgary. Uh, you know, they showed up to run warrants on the family. They didn't show up to, like, you know, provide them any type of support or let them know about support services here. No, no, it was to run warrants on the whole family. Uh, you know, this is a grieving family, and you're running warrants. Like, so I think right from the get-go, I mean, Indigenous people are not safe in this country. Then you throw in, okay, now when you interact with police, that threat level goes up. Then when you interact with the next level of the justice system, the threat level goes up. And you, it just keeps getting worse until you end up with a verdict of not guilty for a guy that arguably, at the very least, should have been guilty of manslaughter. Um, yeah, and that's what I mean is in Canada, as far as I'm aware, and I'm no lawyer, and I'd sure love to hear from you know some Indigenous lawyers, but I, didn't, I don't believe that we have the right in Canada to defend our property with violent force. No. You know? And the- last time I took my gun course, it was in Ill- it's an illegal act to point a firearm, whether loaded or unloaded, at an individual. Well, exactly. That's a, that's a, that's a criminal offense, and yet he's not charged with that. Yes. He's charged with two counts of improper storage. Right. You know, and yeah. uh, last time I took my gun course, it's also illegal to discharge a firearm improperly, which he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, regard, not even fairly shooting someone is just, and, and so really as indigenous people, this really sheds a very uh, stark light to the fact that uh, not only as indigenous people are we at higher risk for all kinds of violent crimes, that there is no safety net within the Canadian state anymore at any level for indigenous people. No, and I, I think, you know, I, I think for most people they knew that it was like that. But I think because now we have such a powerful social media and a, such a powerful focus on ability to focus on these things, uh, it's it's really coming to light and it's really being made glaringly obvious. Um, you know, there was a lot of things posted on Facebook. Uh, one of the things I saw from uh, Dr. Pam Palmeter was, you know, if we reverse this and said a carload of white people showed up on res with the exact same scenario, but that was white people on a reservation... You can guarantee that if one of them would have got shot fatally, that everybody on everybody involved on the res that was Indigenous would have gone to jail. Uh, the person who actually did the shooting would be locked up in solitary for the next 20 to 30, 40 years. Guaranteed. And yet we don't see that in the reverse. And I mean, like, the, the whole thing was ridiculous. The RCMP handling of it was ridiculous. Like, there isn't a single thing about this case that you can't just say this. this is absolutely... Ridiculous! Like it was the most ridiculous show of, of our justice system, and I used air quotes there, uh, that I've ever like that you could ever imagine. Well, and what's what's startling to me though is that we have laws in place uh, to protect people because in Canada, last time I checked, we believe that the value of human life is more valuable than anybody's property. Yes. Uh, last time I checked, that was the law, and what we see in this case is a clear reality that if you're a certain kind of a person within Canada that that actually doesn't have to apply to you. Yes. And I think that's really what, what shocks me the most is then if you turn that around into the social media that I see race aside, you know, indigenous people versus Canadian settler aside for a minute, the fact that there's now a segment of society who firmly believes that Canada, in Canada, you have the the right to defend your personal property with violent force, is now a reality. Yes, is kind of kind of the the unsaid rule of of that case, where but that that isn't true legally. That shouldn't be true. That's not true. That's an American point of view. Americans are allowed to defend their property with violent force, you know, lethal force. That's not how it's supposed to be in Canada. No, and, and even in the states, it's only certain states that still allow that. Um, and I think even here in Canada, unless, like, if somebody, if, if there's, like, the threat of imminent death, I think you're allowed to use 
whatever force necessary to, you know, keep yourself safe. But that's then when you're putting your life versus your attacker's life. And that is not even close to what happened here. There was no attacking. And like you said, it was personal property. Like it, you're, you're, you're defending a quad, so it's okay to take a human life. And in, well, again, we, we try to quantify. I mean, then is it how much personal property is it? The, the reality is under the eyes of the law, I don't think there's a quantity on personal property. I don't care if they come in your yard and trash your favorite car and drive your favorite quad into the ditch and light your gas tank on fire. At, at what point do you, are you allowed to take a weapon and, you know, um, put violence in the equation? And under Canadian laws, as far as I'm aware, that's not legal. And well, yet now we've created this perception in this in you know in this segment of society that I am allowed now to defend my property with violent force. Well, absolutely, and you know, I I really feel I I actually feel bad that there's so many of these like crazy racist. Um, as far as idiots out there saying, oh, it's this is totally fine. And like you said, now it's becoming, that is the standard now. You can totally do that. Um, like my dad was raised on a farm. There's no way he would have, that. like, he, he, there's no way he would have ever even thought to take a gun out there. Um, you know, if the kids, if they were that rowdy or boisterous or being that bad, he would have phoned the police and stayed in the house and made sure that his family stayed in the house. Like, that's the bottom line. Like, it, this is not a good sign for where Canada's heading. No, this mm. is terrible. And a lot of this, I, I firmly believe, has uh, an unhappy finger that you can point to our, our brethren south of the medicine line. This this is very American-style perception on the ability yeah. of the, and the use of, of firearms and the gun culture that comes from the United States. And it is it is very saddening to me that, that we have a segment in society in Canada now that has been so influenced by that gun culture that we believe that property of any value now is worth more than people. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, there are so many laws around guns we already have. I mean, this was a handgun. It's not like he came out with his twenty two that he shoots coyotes with. It's not a thirty odd six or a shotgun or anything. He grabbed a handgun. Yeah, so... I mean, there's so many issues with this, and I mean, I think this is, you know, when you hear those arguments against, you know, gun control and gun registries and stuff, and it's like, oh, this is going to punish the, you know, the your average farmer who doesn't break the laws. Well, but farmers can't just shoot people. That's just, that that's not okay. So maybe gun control should have been in place, and maybe there should have been a registry, and this dude wouldn't have a stupid handgun, and then maybe this wouldn't have happened. I, I don't well, know. The, That's the couple other side. Things, a couple things. In, in Canada, we've had a gun registry since 1935. Uh, this yeah. really boils down to the fact that this person views gun ownership as a right, mm-hmm. and it's not. In Canada, this is a privilege, and I think that's the problem. We're yeah. so used to American-style politics, we think that we have some kind of amendment constitution in Canada that allows you that right to own a gun, and in Canada, that's not true. It's a privilege. Yeah. And he abused his privilege by illegally storing his firearm. Yeah. Not only did he illegally store it, he illegally discharged it, he illegally pointed it, and then someone died. Yeah. And so the reality is that is all fine. And what we have, though, and what totally boggles my mind is we have a court ruling that really is like an American court ruling. Yeah. That the violation of property and possession is worth more than a person. Yeah, exactly. You know, if last time I checked, I'm not in... Uh, Arkansas or Texas or some hillbilly state where we believe that. Yeah. Well, that's just it. And and the reason we have all these laws is to protect people's lives. That is the whole point of them. It's not, we don't have gun laws to protect somebody's quad. We have gun laws to protect lives. But now for, because I guess the RCMP decided between them and the crown prosecutor, like, you know, they all decided, oh, well, we're just going to make up the law this round, this go around. But it, you know, it comes back to it. it's it's the nine hundred thousandth time that Canada's legal system has failed Indigenous people. It's how many times does um, you know an Indigenous person who's who's a victim they get tried at court as opposed to the person who committed the crime. Um, you know, a few years ago we had um, a case in Calgary called uh, where Cindy Gladue was murdered. 
And uh, the guy who murdered her, I mean, it was very obvious he murdered her. But because she was a prostitute, and it's the guy got off. He's He was declared innocent. And, you know, they even brought b- her body parts out. Like, they literally cut her up and brought her body parts out to demonstrate to the jury some theories as to how she might have died other than this dude killed her. So it's like, this isn't new. And, and I, I think a lot of people were expecting it, but it, it's that hope. You know, like the, And I think when uh, when it came down that he was, you know, the verdict was not guilty, I, I think it was like a gut punch where you had that hope that maybe this time. And then it was like, it just took the wind right out of you and it's, nope, not this time. So it's just... Overall, I can't like I'm still kind of in shock about it. Well, and I honestly, I don't think we've seen the uh, total ramifications of what this is going to do for empowering a certain segment of our society to, you know, we're going to watch these kinds of things probably escalate in the future because they feel that they have an out now. Well, and that yeah. it, it's now legal to do this. Yeah, like so, what what happens now if there's a a rally? Uh, for Colton, and some of these dudes show up with handguns. Is, is that legal now, too? Like, is it okay to pack heat? Because, you know, you got to defend yourself and your property now, and, and it's you know, the court said it's okay, as long as you're not Indigenous. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and, and that's my big concern, is, is if you're looking at overall safety, you know, driving around on back roads, if you're an Indigenous person now, it can be turning to, to a sketchy thing if you're just on your way to the gas station. Um, and I, I think we're going to really have to rally as communities and really begin to solidify our own internal support networks because you want to, I think this is, is the ultimate wake up call is that outside of our own communities, we don't have any more friends. Well, and that, if, yeah. you know, the, the 150 years of, uh, you know, Canada is putting on a good facade of being a friendly nation and a polite people is clearly over and we need to really look to take care of our own. Absolutely, and, and you know you've, see, you've we've seen that in in places like Winnipeg over the last few years, where I think is it called the Bear Patrol or Bear, Bear Clan Patrol or something, yeah. um, where and and it's made a significant difference. Um, just those guys being out there, and I think you're going to start to see where, uh, as Indigenous people, we just have to start taking care of ourselves because you clearly can't rely on the police. We never have been able to, but it, it's coming to a point where how many more have to die before something gets done? And I think it's up. It's it's inevitably up to us to to fix the system, um, like it is with so many things that we have to fix in this system. Uh, which which is sad that you're the the onus is on the people that are the victims of all of this in order to fix the system that's causing the problem. Like it, it's a it's an ass backwards thing, but and unfortunately that's but the way that's, it is. But that's colonialism at its heart. <laughs> Uh, well, that's I mean, true, yeah. But, well, let's be honest. I mean, if we're, yeah. we're going to take a hard look at our, our 150-year relationship with the colonial state, at, at what point did the uh, people in power grant workers the rights to holidays and pay a real pay schedule and medical care? Well, it bloody wasn't until we created unions and started rioting in the streets that people in power did the right thing. Yeah. And I don't see that's going to be any different uh, with Indigenous issues or anything focusing on that. But we, the, the added risk we have now is the police used to be there to protect and to serve, and now the police are clearly there on the side of the state. And that adds a very different level of threat to Indigenous lives. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I for years I have had uh, a very tumultuous, um, uh, I guess, <laughs> relationship with police. I don't personally have any problem with police as far as getting arrested or anything. Um, but I, I don't see what they do as towards Indigenous people or, or really anybody of, of uh, I guess, a certain class or, you know, somebody who's lower than, I guess, the your typical privileged Canadian. Um, they, are not, they are not friends of, you know, minority communities or people of color or LGBTQ2 plus or Indigenous or, you know, like... When do we start looking at the things like the police and the justice system and the way we pick juries? Like, we talk about it, but that stuff's not changing. Um, how long have the RCMP been murdering Indigenous people, been destroying Indigenous artifacts, been, you know, you know the, the guys who busted up the riots with the unions in Saskatchewan? And, you know, like, they've never been friendly 
to the underdog. So it, it's it's a history that, you know, we have this great history of the RCMP and everybody wants to be proud of them. But honestly, I don't see that. But I could go on a whole other rant about that. <laughs> um, but but getting back to the Bushy thing, um, I, I what I noticed, uh, you know, and obviously the racism in the last few days, but I did notice there was a few Métis that came out and said, well, uh, you know, he, you know, he, Gerald Stanley was innocent and this was a, a good verdict. And, and then you had Robert Falconoulette come out and side with the Stanley family. And uh, I just can't quite understand how Métis can side with that side of the of the situation. I don't, do, do you, can you see it? I don't know. No, there's really a lot of face palming. I mean, I, I give a little more slack to people whose paychecks are on the line. You know, you're a politician and you side with whatever the government of the day that you're empowered to collect a paycheck from because your job's there. I totally shake my head at uh, any Indigenous person uh, who has managed to, you know, float through life. And largely that's me as well. I've never really had to suffer on the end of uh, discrimination because I'm blonde enough and to, to be able to pass. Yeah. You know, and I think that really is what it boils down to is the inability to step outside of one's bubble and, and see reality for what it is and the trauma and the marginalization that happens to indigenous people. And if you're an indigenous person and haven't had to suffer that persecution and you somehow managed to slide into the colonial mindset enough to believe that that's okay, that, that your value system has been so eroded that some piece of property or some item uh, or car is worth more than human life or your right to, to defend things over people uh, really means we should be spending more time with that person around the fire with a few more elders. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's the thing that I've noticed with a lot of this stuff is to me, it just screams of uh, a complete lack of connection to any of your indigenous um, culture, family, um, anything like that, and because I mean, I'm I'm in your I'm in the same position you are. I'm very white passing. I grew up as a white man, so it's very easy for me to walk through this world. Um, I, I won the lotto on that one, uh, so I could easily just you know ignore this stuff and pretend it doesn't happen. I could go to work, do my job, come home, everything's great for me. Um, but the truth is, is when you look at what's happening in this country, every small group uh, of people, like a minority group, is suffering this kind of stuff. And I mean, Indigenous have been suffering it for hundreds and hundreds of years. So you you got to wake up to this stuff and you got to realize your experience in this world isn't everybody's experience. Um, you know, I, I worked with a guy from Guyana and back in my twenty early twenties, when I was have the same thought of a lot of people, where what Canada is not that racist. I mean, sure, there's maybe a little bit of it, but it's not that bad. And I remember uh, talking to him, and he he showed me for about a week during uh, one of the I think it was the Summer Olympics that year, and he showed me for about a week exactly how racist the media is and things like that, and it really opened my eyes. Um, but but I mean, really. That was just, everybody's got to have that moment of, that, that eye-opening moment, because this stuff is happening, and if you say it's not, I, you know, you need to shake your head and, like, look at reality. Well, I think the challenge is, is that's what we're seeing in Canada, and it's giving rise to these kinds of things, is we have a shifting uh, power structure shift change, the, you know, the dominant society that was here uh, through the colonial empire is shifting, it's being eroded, it's yeah. causing instability, people don't, you know, you look at the, the class of Europeans that have been in power in Canada for a long time. I don't like to use the word white because I don't believe in the word white people. You know, yeah. um, doesn't, the white people aren't a race. <laughs> yeah. But, but exactly. the people in power who, who have, you know, established colonialism here for the last 150 years is being eroded. And those people are lashing out. They feel insecure. You know, they're not comfortable in the fact that there's diversity. They they're only find comfortable when things are the same and it's homogenous. And that power structure is being threatened. And I think this case... Uh, the lack of the ability to enforce Canadian law uh, because of the the ethnicity of the person, you know, who uh, can't control his firearm is clear. And we see that in social media. Uh, We see that in Indigenous people who come out and don't even understand how they're siding uh, in that comfortable norm of, of being in power, in a position of power. 
you know, if you're a white passing person, you have a light enough skin color, you fit into the, the upper crust, as it were, the long established power. It's easy to float through this life in Canada in the context of the state and not see it and not feel it, not have to be affronted with it. And, and sadly, uh, being in Canada has also left us with a very loud, obnoxious neighbor to the south. And it sure seems that the, the upper crust of our society, the people in power in our society, have uh, gained a lot of the elitist attitudes towards um, life, I guess, not having a lot of value. And, and that's a sad state. Yeah, oh, it's a very sad state, and you know, if this is is if this verdict stands, like I know that there are appeals and stuff that are probably that are in process. I'm sure as we're speaking, but if this stands, I mean, it, it sets a precedent now. Um, so I'm here in Calgary, and somebody steps onto my property, and I get all jittery. Can I just shoot them now? Um, no matter who they are, like. So it's, it sets a very bad precedent um, because, like you said, it just completely devalues life. And I think there's a lot of a lot of influence from the South, like you said, and the president down there, and that the, this whole resurgence of neo-Nazism and Nazism that you know, like it's just absolutely disgusting what's going on down there as far as racism and you know these Nazis walking around with Nazi flags, like it's disgusting. And and I think you're seeing people up here going, yeah, let's get on board with that. That that looks like we could maybe you know do something. And and unfortunately, that's permeating up through Cal- up through Canada. And I I think that's what you're seeing here with this case is kind of the first stages of that American style Nazism that's that's so in your face and just up front and center. Well, it gives a lot of voice to. I mean, we have to understand that the, the power structure in Canada is shifting. It's shifting in the United States as well. The Like I said before, the, the white, for lack of a better term, power structure that's been established in Canada for a very long time is quickly being eroded. And if you've been in power a long time, and, and let's say your family has or your specific shade of vanilla has, you know, it, it's disconcerting to know that that's not going to last. Yeah, well, it's and, a lot of fear. And what happens, and it's a lot of fear, and I think a lot of fear-based thing. What happens when you go from being a majority to being a minority? Yeah. And, and you listen to the Canadian schools, and we talk about the schools and the education process a lot. But what happens when you used to be the majority in the school, and now you're just another minority? Yeah. And you use the vocabulary of, in a country that used to be ours. Yeah, yeah. And it sets a very, very bad precedent, especially in rural places where there's a lot more influence and a lot more connection i think to the idea of the colonial idea of the ownership of land absolutely yeah and i and i think that's very intrinsic to the colonial state i mean we we have the state that sells you land and you buy land and they're supposed to be the you know this colonial mindset of the pride of ownership and land and and then there comes along the inevitable thing that our americans sell us from the south to that mindset is there's the defense of that land that's oh, yeah. yours. Yeah. And what really was startling to me, and this is why I had expected a little bit different verdict outcome on this case, was that's not true in Canada. In Canada, legally, uh, you're not allowed to defend your property with violent force. And that should have been how this case was ruled. And yet it wasn't. And that, for me, is a startling wake-up call that there isn't a safe place for indigenous people anymore not with the police and now not certainly in the court system yeah absolutely absolutely and you know um one of the things that i you know you had you had just uh, said there a minute ago that um, you know as indigenous people we need to come together in, in our community and and try to make things safer for ourselves and one thing that i've i've you know we we spend a lot of time on here criticizing the cartel uh, which is the Métis National Council, and it's all of its wonderful affiliates. And the one thing I noticed is that I could not find any published response to this case from any of them. And uh, if somebody has that and they want to email it to MétisPodcast at gmail.com and prove me wrong, that's great. But I went on the MNC site, I went on the Métis Nation of Alberta site, uh, I checked out one other one, I can't remember which province it was. There was nothing. There was no st- statement on this. So... You know, 
as Métis people, I understand that we're not First Nations, and he was a First Nations young man. But the truth of the matter is, is we, we unfortunately share the, the trauma and the pain that goes with First Nations. Uh, and we can't just walk away from that. And, you know, there, when, you, when you look at missing and murdered women, there is a lot of missing and murdered um, Indigenous women that were Métis. So we share in all of this pain and all this trauma. So let's say this was a Métis young man. Well, he's Indigenous, so it's okay to shoot him too, right? And this is where I think we really need to come together with our First Nations, our Inuit, and, and our Indigenous brothers and sisters across this country and really show some some strength in community. Um, and I think a lot of Métis absolutely believe that, and I think the vast majority of Métis believe in that. But these organizations that are supposed to represent Métis people, nothing. You just got crickets. So how are you going to build a relationship now with the First Nation or with anybody like when you, you don't even care? You're not even going to make a statement. And I, I think it shows how they really just don't want a relationship with First Nations. And I, I was really disappointed, even though I, was, I, I shouldn't be disappointed, but I still was disappointed that they didn't even make a statement on it. Yeah, again, it, it, you look at their lack of action, which is continual, and it just causes you to facepalm or bang your head against the wall. Um, that uh, it's an organization that really you want to talk about colonialism. You want to talk about the impacts of colonialism. Well, here's an organization that feels so disconnected from our First Nations relations that we have no leadership in that structure that can offer condolences to the family that can speak to the travesty that this is. And like you said, it's, it's crickets. And if this is an organization that truly is representative of Métis leadership, wow, that's a sad statement then. It is, because, you know, the one thing I noticed at the rally here in Calgary is there wasn't any from anybody from the Region 3 there to speak. There, was, uh, there wasn't even a Region 3 person or M&A representative holding the Métis flag up. Uh, it was me and my daughter holding that flag up, and it it's just wholeheartedly um, disgusting to see these organizations raking in millions of dollars from the Canadian government and other places, and they can't even stand up and make a statement on this. Um, and honestly, what it what it does is even if they do, even if they don't believe that this was a just trial, by not making any statement, what they're saying is. Now nah, we're good. We're good with it. Let's just move on. And so now when you put that into the context of a lot of the other conversations we've had about them, uh, you know, about exonerating Louis Riel and things like that, it, it actually starts to put a lot more context in there. And it like, like you said, the colonialism that's seeping and just seething in that those organizations is so glaringly obvious. And it's, it's just so sad that that's what they've become. Well, and that we've allowed them to become this organization. We support them, you know, how many people across our viewership and, and people who follow us on Facebook uh, support them with their membership and empower these people to this negative Métis nationalism agenda that has really made, um, let's face it, Métis people competitors against First Nations people for lands claims, for money, for rights, for harvesting. We are competing against our First Nations cousins for these things instead of building unity and building bridges and finding solidarity. We've allowed the Métis National Council and its affiliates to become a colonial competitor to that claim. Absolutely. And that is, is just mind-blowing. Absolutely. And, you know, it's stuff like this where I just kind of go, you know, even if you had a membership with these organizations, the fact that they're not going to make a statement they're not going to come out in support of, they're not going to show up at the rallies, they're not going to do any of that. What is the point of them? Like, what what do they do? And I, I just, I would just so love to see people just walk away and and say, you know what? You don't represent me. That is not me. That, those are not my values. And I want an organization that represents my values. And if they if people did that, those organizations... They might not change, but I, I would have, I would suspect they would be more likely to change if people actually said, enough's enough. You clearly don't represent my values as a human being, let alone as a Métis person, indigenous on this land. So, see you later. Um, 
you know? Yeah, if, if, if they stopped supporting something that is obviously bad and started supporting something that was obviously good, what could we do by this time next year? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, how many how many bridges could we build if people said enough is enough? I'm going to stop supporting an organization that is causing harm, and I'm going to start supporting those who are doing good. Yeah. The longer we let Métis people sit by on the side of the road and let these issues pass us by, the more marginalized we become in this conversation, and we might as well go back to living on the road allowance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I I uh, couldn't help but think, short, you know, maybe it was a couple of days after the verdict came out, um, I seen some stuff on Facebook going back to like Métis identity bullshit arguments again. And, um, and I don't want to get into that because we, we have thoroughly covered that. But the one thing I, I wasn't interested in was there was a case out in the East where, um, I'm not even going to try to say the park's name, but there was a national park created. And in order to do so, they kicked out 1200 people that were living there and destroyed 10 Acadian traditional villages uh, that have been there since Acadia um, and a bunch of other stuff. So they just trashed the place and turned it into a park. These guys decided to, in 1998 to go uh, harvest some clams in the park purposely to get arrested. They did. It went to court, blah, blah, blah. And here we are you know, 20 years later, and the Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to listen. They're not going to hear your trial. You were found guilty. You're guilty. Um, and these people were, were all cheering this victory of... of See, there's no Métis in the East, and, you know, F you to the Métis out East. And just absolutely saying the most horrendously disgusting comments about Métis in the East. And I couldn't help but see the parallels between what's being said about Indigenous people be on these, you know, from these redneck racist farmers and, and others that are coming out against the, the Bushi family and, and Indigenous people in general. And then the comments that these guys are making about Eastern Métis I mean, you can almost trade them and just switch, swap out the words. That's how horrible mm-hmm. they are. And well, and, and you and I have seen in the in the last several weeks a complete overrun of just about every uh, Facebook and social media platform that these nationalists, Métis nationalists, I call them, uh, with their agenda, are overrunning every group to marginalize people on such a horrific double standard that I, it is mind-numbing that like you said there's this case out in the east where metis people were removed by force they were kicked out of a specific geographical location and that was turned into a park and then the ruling comes out against them you know how is this any different than when we talked about the metis people in jasper exactly exactly so this myopic nationalistic agenda that is being overrun by these select individuals who is absolutely the most abhorrent kind of of colonialism that is infiltrating the academic community in with Métis people, and it is some ugly. Well, it is, and and the you know the thing that's really struck me is they're so happy when a verdict like this comes out, and they're so reliant on the Supreme Court of Canada to decide who is Métis, and they're so excited to have the government define Métis people, and they just get like they just get over the moon if the courts or the government are going to move on Métis identity. And these are, the, these are the same courts, you know, I understand different, but it's the same legal system that's ruling against Métis in the East saying, no, you're not Métis. It's the same legal system that ruled that this Gerald Stanley guy is not guilty of murder or really any serious crime. Same legal system. And... Mm-hmm. So it it is just a huge example of that of that colonialism you're talking about where you know these guys are just so excited by that legal system and this is the legal system that is killing literally killing indigenous people but i guess as, again it goes back to that privilege i guess cuz as long as it's not them they're good right yeah as long as their identity intact and their rights are are somehow moving forward the marginalization and the trauma happening to metis Elsewhere is fine, and it, it, the whole nat- this whole agenda, this whole discussion is so infuriating. Because I live in the West, we live in Alberta, and I've been to personal communities. I've been to former Métis settlements here in Alberta. That the Powley decision, ruled by the, the the Court of Canada, is used so punitively in Alberta that these Métis people that were on a former settlement can't get rights. They can't exercise their rights. 
And yet these people on, on the Facebook and on the social media are so disconnected from their own homeland, they call it, from their own communities, that they believe that this ruling of Pauli that talks about Métis identity is somehow good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And how, how mind-boggling is it that we would let the Canadian state or any state dictate to the Métis people who we are? What happened to the notion that the Métis people are the people that own themselves? Oh, exactly. Exactly. And it, so it, it's just, it's, it's really disgusting to me to watch them go on and on like this when a case like this happens where, you know, this young man was murdered and nothing happens and these guys are championing and cheering and just absolutely disgustingly commenting on Métis in the East. It's like, do you guys not see the parallel? And what's also interesting is all of these the hardcore nationalists that are always on those Facebook pages, the, like you said, they're just trying to take them over, every one of them. They're not talking about the Bushy case. They're not making statements. They're not saying anything against Gerald Stanley's family. So again, we have this, this scenario where I have a lot of friends here in Calgary, and what they're seeing is Métis people siding with the Stanley family. And that does not bode well for Métis people um, because... You know, I, I guarantee you that's going to to put a serious damper on, on relationships and communication between First Nations and Métis people down the road. And it's things like this that, I'm sorry, these nationalists, they need to give their head a shake. They need to pull their head out of their ass and wake up and realize what's important. And it's it's not that some guys out east might, might actually get some government funding to provide some programs and services. That's not really what's important here. There's literally people dying, Métis included in that, and you're doing nothing. You're not talking about that. You don't care about that. Because I guess that's just too difficult for you. I don't know. That's my little rant. I, I get kind of, I'm getting kind of pissed off as we're talking, to be honest <laughs> with you. But, but it's a tough goal because every, every year that goes by, you know, more people die. Exactly. Every year that goes by, more women go missing. Yeah. Every year that goes by, we watch and we get more marginalized and kicked to the side of the road again uh, as Métis people. We have multi-million dollar funded organizations. We have academics who tout the validity of these organizations. We have people going to law school marginalizing Métis people in every Facebook group I'm in uh, based on some kind of BS identity politics. And in the meantime, we're literally dying in the streets. Yeah. And I really can't wrap my head around why the Métis people support organizations that act as competitors to First Nations issues when we are brothers. Exactly. This and anybody who doesn't support an absolute unified front on Indigenous issues where we stand arm in arm over harvesting, over land, over rights is boggling. If we're competing, then we got a problem. Well, it, it begs the question, if you want to talk about identity, if you're not going to stand beside First Nations and Inuit and all Indigenous in this land to fight for everybody's rights, to fight for everybody's safety, to fight for all of us to survive, if you're not going to do that arm in arm, who's lost their Métis, their Métis identity? Who's lost their identity then? Because... I don't know. I, the people I saw that were at my rally, there was uh, several Eastern Métis that I know that were there. Um, it, but I didn't see a whole lot of uh, you know, Métis Nation representatives. So I think we've lost our way, I, I guess is the best way I could put it. And you know, honestly, to, to all the First Nations and, and other Indigenous people that I know out there, I, I just have to say I'm sorry on behalf of Métis people because I can't even fathom how Métis people come to these conclusions and say this shit. So, you know, and, 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 you know, I have to go hang out with people or go be around people. And it actually makes me feel uncomfortable now because of, you know, 20 other Métis people that said stupid crap on the internet. And then I get to go stand in a room with people that this is directly affecting their lives. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's not comfortable. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't even know how you fix this stuff, but these these guys need to need to come to reality on what's important, and it it is more important that we stand side by side and show on a united front, like you said. I just again, I can't even imagine why they're not doing that. But 
Yeah, and that's the whole point. Anybody who supports an organization that remains silent on issues like this at critical moments in time like this, when we need unity together like never before, when we need to stand arm in arm like the brothers and sisters that we are from the same, you know, the same land, uh, you know, here on Turtle Island, I don't understand. Um, when a nationalistic agenda is competing with your views over brotherhood, around the fire, when our elders are being marginalized by Métis politicians, we got real problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I was, it's funny, I was reading a thing, um, and I read a quote from Arthur Manuel. I'm reading his, uh, his Reconciliation Manifesto book right now. And uh, there's a quote in there, and it said, The termination policy is basically the final step in colonization of Indigenous people. It makes the, our dispossession complete by constitutionally and legally breaking our connection to our land. And I just want to throw that out there for all you Red River nationalists and say, when you're cheering on court cases that, where the Canadian government has legally decided that those people had no connection to that land after being there for a couple hundred years, that's what you're cheering for is the, the final step of colonization and that's why you are living yourself living in a fog of colonization because um, it's, it's disgusting that you're cheering that on. But that's what you're doing. So you're supporting the state saying that uh, the murder of uh, Colton Bushy is not guilty and you're supporting the dispossession of Indigenous people. So good job. Excellent. And that's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I'm, I'm done, man. I, I, I'm, now I'm getting angry. Now I got to go like for a run or something. I don't know. I got to burn off energy because even just talking about it, like I, I thought, oh, I got to get this out. But now, now I'm just getting worked out. Yeah, got to get out that 45-gallon smudge kit. <laughs> no kidding. Um, so I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on on this this topic or anything related to it? I don't know. No. Um, you know, I just want to really encourage Métis people uh, to partner up with our Indigenous people. You know, we all need a lot of love. We need a lot of healing. And, and more to look to the future, we really need to ask ourselves – what are we going to do to make the future better? Because we can't continue down this road. These, we have Métis organizations that have run amok. We have university students who have been completely colonized. And now we have literally our kids are dying on the streets and our women are going missing. The time to act is long past. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, just to add to that, if... If the organizations are not going to show up at these rallies, I really encourage, you know, in this case, in the Colton Bushy rallies, show up for those. But there is constantly, I think, in every city and town in this country, there is a constant, you know, something happening where there's a vigil, there's a rally, there's something. And I would really strongly encourage Métis people to start showing up, take a Métis flag, and go and show up to these rallies and show your support and show people that Métis people stand against this kind of bullshit. Because um, that's the only way we're going to show people that we do stand against it. Because if we let the organizations do it, it'll never happen. And I know that there are thousands and thousands of Métis people that are just as upset at this as the First Nations people are. So rather than put a divide in there, let's show our support as a community. And, you know, forget these stupid organizations that can't be bothered to pull their their thumbs out of their ass to get down to these rallies. Let's do it ourselves. So I would encourage everybody to go to rallies, go to vigils and show your support for every missing and murdered women in vigil walk uh, rally. And every time something like this, where there's an injustice happens, there's always a rally and just go out and show your support. That's what it's going to take bodies in the street. Absolutely. And, and it is important because I think it's important. I mean, when I was at that rally, you know, there were some amazing things. Like I got to hear some really, some really powerful words from an elder. Um, and a, I mean, I, he's one of my favorite elders here in Calgary anyway, but, uh, you know, just seeing the people, just seeing people come together, just seeing, uh, the words spoken, there was uh, spoken poetry and stuff like that, like the sp- or spoken word poetry and, and just hearing these words and it moves you to feel and it moves you to to understand what's going on. And so just on a personal level, going to these rallies and things like that, it is actually a little bit healing because you can sit in your home and be mad that this goes on or you can go out and do something and be part of something. And 
you know, I, I spent all weekend last weekend with people and we talked about this verdict the whole, pretty much the whole weekend. Um, we had uh, on Saturday, we, we spent some time doing storytelling through a program here in town and um, it, like, it was great. But at the end of the day, when we were going around, you know, kind of doing a sharing circle, this is what people were talking about. And it was great for people to get out what they had to say and their feelings. And so that was a safe environment for that. And then I went from that to, um, you know, another event. And then I went to the rally. And it was just, it was one after the other where people were sharing. And and I think that's the healing aspect of this, which I think is what these rallies and vigils are so powerful for. So it's really important we get out and show that. I think it's vital. I think that that's, that's a real thing, good note to end on, is that the, there's no amount of social media there's no amount of internet that is going to replace getting out and sitting in the circle and, and having the opportunity to share and hear others share. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, well, I think that's all I can continue to say about this. Um, so and unless you got any final, final, final thoughts. <laughs> I think that's about all I'm willing to rant on about this evening. All right. Well, I appreciate everybody listening and, uh, you know, uh, send us emails at metispodcast at gmail.com uh, and let us know what you thought of this episode. And next week, I'm hoping, and everything seems to be in the works, that I'm going to be bringing uh, an interview with a 60 Scoop survivor uh, who's willing to come on the show, tell her story, and talk about just all of the fun stuff that she's had to go through with certain organizations and the hoops that she's jumped through and the barriers she faces. So, I, I encourage everybody to tune in for that. That's going to be a very interesting conversation. And I'm, I'm hoping you bring you a few really cool stories coming up of, well, I guess cool in a way. Uh, but I'm, I think there's going to be some interesting stories come up that we're working on. So just stay tuned for those. I guess everybody have a great week and uh, get out there and be the change you want to see in the world. That's it. The jig's up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. I don't be a fire that doesn't burn.